Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Thursday, October 8th, we're studying Proverbs chapter 24, verses 1 through 22. As honey is sweet to the taste, so wisdom is sweet to the soul. Solomon continues to write the wisdom he has compiled in order that those who hear and fear the Lord would have a future in him. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Matt Ulmer. Pastor Ulmer serves at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Bishop, Texas. Pastor Ulmer, welcome back to Sharp Iron. Good morning. Pastor Ulmer, as we get started this morning, we're toward the end of the book of Proverbs. We've got a few chapters left here, and we encounter more wisdom from Solomon, probably a section that he compiled rather than authored originally himself. As you think about the book of Proverbs as a whole, the text we've got for us today, what are some introductory thoughts we need to know going in? Yeah, I, I think it's probably pretty safe to say that Solomon did compile these because this particular section of the book of Proverbs seems to be a collection of of a bunch of sayings of, of wise people. I think in general, as we go through this text, it'll be pretty easy and obvious to see that the words that are being spoken here are good and edifying advice for for any person. Um, specifically, uh, they deal with um, some of the commandments. I know going through my notes, I saw the, the first commandment, the fourth commandment, fifth commandment, eighth commandment, all dealt with here understanding that as a person goes through their life, uh, it is wise to live by God's commands and decrees, uh, that when one does this, their life is uh, blessed and successful, and then when somebody uh, strays from the path of God, when they become an evil person or a schemer or a scoffer or a mocker, these words come up in this text, that uh, their life does not go as well. That's been one of the themes that we've seen through the book of Proverbs, that generally speaking, following the commandments, listening to the wisdom that Solomon gives here in the book of Proverbs will make your life go better. I think you used the word successful even, which is a word that I think Lutherans tend to shy away from at times, perhaps because of its misuse that we would look for some sort of success that the Lord has not promised And yet we need to be able to recognize that following the commandments, doing the wisdom that Solomon gives us here, does provide benefit to our lives. How do we thread that needle, if I can put it that way, so that we hold on to the idea of having this benefit from following the law, listening to the wisdom, without falling into the sort of prosperity gospel thinking that's out there, if I can put it like that? Yeah, I, I think that's a really, really good point, and kind of as a Christian and as a pastor, how I've tried to understand and interpret this over the 10 or so years that I've been doing this is always understanding that, number one, the law of God is good. 
the law is God's, and therefore, by definition, it is good. So in the law, God is telling us how he has designed and created us to live. And I think it stands to reason that by living according to that uh purpose it can be nothing bad for us so so living how god designed us to to live is always going to be good number one number two is understanding that while i I use the word success i think in a christian context the word success means a lot differently than it means in like an american context Mm. uh and when i say that i i mean that as americans and as people we think that success equates to tangible, almost financial and physical benefits now. And while as Christians following the law of God can lead to these things, success is always determined in the resurrection. Success is determined in being called a child of God and receiving one's reward on the last day. And I do think that that understanding uh, is present in this text. I love the way you said that. Success is determined in the resurrection. And I've I've become more and more convinced throughout the study of the book of Proverbs that you have to have the doctrine of the resurrection of the dead on the last day in the back of your mind— as the foundation of everything that Solomon is writing here. Sayings that he he puts in have to, they, they can't make sense apart from the resurrection of the dead so often, precisely because of, of what you said. Sometimes in this world, the tangible financial sometimes benefits just don't come to the righteous, to those who follow the wisdom. And it's only when we know the resurrection that's promised in Christ that we can hold on to those statements as true. And and then going back to what you said as number one, recognize that it's good, that, that this is how God has designed for us to live. And so just by definition, it can't be bad. <laughs> even, exactly. even, even when it looks like things are going wrong because we're following these commands or listening to this divine wisdom, by definition, it can't be bad. And again, I mean, so I think those two points go hand in hand, that the law of God is good and the promise of the resurrection is where all this is fulfilled. Yeah, and I, and I think that that uh, theology extends into much of the New Testament where the the writers of the New Testament are always focusing the people of God's eyes to their reward, which is the resurrection. Mm. I think that the the theology and understanding of the resurrection is such an integral part of the Christian message that um, any time that we talk about the gospel, any time we talk about the law and reward, it's always got to be tied to the future goal, which is our hope which is resurrection in Jesus Christ, because he has conquered the grave and death itself. It's definitely there in the New Testament. I think the surprise, or I don't know if surprise is the right word, but the the thing that maybe I forgot is that it's in the Old Testament too. And it's even in a book like Proverbs. Proverbs is just one of those books that we were talking about this before we came on air. It's not a narrative. It's not an epistle. Sometimes we just don't know what to do with it. And, and yet to see how it does fit into the larger narrative of the scriptures, even if it's not there in the book as a story per se, it does fit into that larger narrative with the end of that narrative in mind constantly, the resurrection of the dead. It's, it's just a real joy to go into a book like this that maybe we're not as familiar with and to find 
what we should find there, which is Christ, the resurrection, and that full biblical hope that God gives us. Any more introductory comments before we jump into the text for today? Uh, I think that's it. All right. So Proverbs 24, we've got 22 verses for us today. We'll read about half here on this side of the program and see how the discussion goes. Beginning at verse 1, be not envious of evil men, nor desire to be with them, for their hearts devise violence and their lips talk of trouble. By wisdom, a house is built, and by understanding, it is established. By knowledge, the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. A wise man is full of strength, and a man of knowledge enhances his might. For by wise guidance, you can wage your war, and in abundance of counselors, there is victory. Wisdom is too high for a fool. In the gate, he does not open his mouth. Whoever plans to do evil will be called a schemer. The devising of folly is sin and the scoffer is an abomination to mankind. If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. Rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. If you say, Behold, we did not know this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who keeps watch over your soul know it? And will he not repay man according to his work? All right, that was verses 1 through 12 of chapter 24. We'll pause there. Pastor Elmer will we'll begin our discussion at verse 1. Solomon writes, Be not envious of evil men, nor desire to be with them, for their hearts devise violence and their lips talk of trouble. Perhaps the, the place to start is, why would a person be envious of an evil man in the first place? Well, yeah, I think, but before we get into that discussion, if you'd like me, uh, if you would permit me to kind of chime in here, I think the... The thing that strikes me initially about these first two verses is that I think you have a direct reference to three different commandments, or maybe even four in this verse. To kind of answer your question about why one would be envious of evil men, I think envy and coveting can be tied together, those concept concepts. And I think that we would be, we as people might be envious of evil men because in this world, by their deceitful and evil practices, uh, they might gain earthly with, uh, earthly riches. Um, they might, by their violence, by their theft, by their slander, acquire a mammon. And when we see them uh, as Christians looking and seeing their success, that can cause us to be envious. So here, I think be not envious is a, is a command for us to beware of like the ninth and tenth commandment. And then in verse 2, specifically saying why we ought not deal with evil men, because they are um, violators of the fifth commandment, doing violence and violators of the eighth commandment, that they are using their tongue, their language to uh, cause trouble for people. So at least at least three commandments in view here, maybe four if you count, if we're going to count nine and ten separately as we do in the catechism. Yeah. So so and I I think a spot on explanation is why a person might be envious of evil men. This is what we were talking about earlier is that sometimes those who pursue evil might seem to prosper in this life. They may gain things by that very evil, by the dishonest dealings, or as you as you said, by the breaking of the fifth commandment, by harming their neighbor physically, by the breaking of the eighth commandment, by slandering their neighbor. They may gain earthly wealth, and so it would be env- it would be easy for us as Christians to become 
envious of them. And, and then not only envious of them, but I, I think as a corollary, we would become envious of them and then seek to imitate them, which would then lead us into breaking the same commandments that they're breaking. I, I think, yeah, that's the, in that the second part of verse one, nor desire to be with them. That's the threat, isn't it? Because when you see the evil men, you see how they're prospering. We always have to struggle against our sinful flesh, which I'll be honest with y'all this morning. It, it's really, really nice to be comfortable. It's nice to have nice things. It's nice to have air conditioning and soft clothes and the things that evil men have and eat good food. But um, the means by which we obtain those things is not God's design for us. Hmm. And, and that's not to say that those things are bad. I don't think we would Correct. say air conditioning is bad, particularly not in South Texas. <laughs> <laughs> but but the, the point is that, that we would, and this is where I think the first commandment comes into play with these verses, is that where would our heart's desire be set? Would we set our heart's desire on those earthly things and make idols of them? Or would instead we seek to fear, love, and trust in God above all things and listen to what his word says about, for example, the fifth and eighth commandments, listen to that above what the the sorry evil men are getting in this life? Where Where is our heart? I think is, I mean, so to bring it even from what do we have, the fifth, the eighth, the ninth, the tenth commandments all in play, all I think coming back to the first. Yeah, and I think that, to me, as I have matured as a Christian, one of the things that always bothers me about myself is this kind of enhanced, heightened understanding of covetousness. It's it's not that the, the things that we covet are necessarily bad. It's just when we covet something, it's the desire for that thing that shiny thing or that comfortable thing that takes our eyes off of God and motivates us to obtain those things rather than being the people that we're created to be. I think that verses three and four, maybe five and six too, there's definitely three and four provide a nice contrast to the picture of one and two. The picture of verses Mm -hmm. one and two would be gathering earthly wealth by means of breaking the fifth commandment, the violence, by means of breaking the eighth commandment, slander. Verses three and four give us the positive picture, building a house by wisdom instead. Take us into the the contrasting picture that Solomon gives us in verses three and four. Yeah, I think here the the writer of this particular proverb, Solomon, or whether he took it from wise people understands that when one lives their life by the commandments, when one is doing what uh, God has designed them to do uh, by loving him with all their heart, soul, or mind, by loving their neighbor as yourself, uh, they're going to have something so much better than a pile of mammon. Mm. I know that when I read this, the, the first thing that came to my mind is a little bit different of an image, but it's in Matthew 7 when Jesus starts talking about people building their house on sand and building their house on rock. Uh, when, when one is living 
by wisdom, they're able to build a life and a system that is strong and complete and, and lasts through trials and tribulations and, and storms and disasters. Um, because when one lives by wisdom, by the word of God, they understand that, number one, they're going to be provided for in this life. That prayer that we pray every time we pray the Lord's Prayer, uh, that God give us our daily bread. Mm. But not only that, we understand that by living as God's people, we have that identity as God's people, and that he will provide for us in the next. So whether or not we receive a large mansion in this life filled with actual uh, jewels and, and precious things, we will have what matters most in the end because we have built upon the foundation of Christ. Mm. There's a lot of connections to the Sermon on the Mount in the book of Proverbs. Uh, that would be a that's maybe another sharper iron series for another time to to find all of those connections. Matthew seven, the end of the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus talks about where you build your house, whether on the rock that is his words or the sand that is anything else, I think is definitely in view here. I would also point further back in the Sermon on the Mount in chapter six, where Jesus talks about where do you store up your treasure? Do you store it up here where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break up, break in and steal? Or do you store it up in him where thief, thieves cannot steal, where wrath, oh man, rust and moth, yeah, moth. moth and rust <laughs> can't destroy? Where Where is your treasure? And again, that's a, as Jesus says there in the Sermon on the Mount, that's another heart issue. That's another first commandment issue that you can't serve God and money, and, and Solomon's yeah. bringing that same thing out here. It, it is, and it's understanding that true wealth is being with and living with God. Hmm. That in this life, whether we have those treasures, we trust God to provide what we need every day to forgive our sins and to protect and defend us from temptation and evil. Hmm. The, the, other, the other place that my mind went with verses three and four here in Proverbs 24 was a little bit later in Matthew's gospel in Matthew chapter 13, after Jesus tells all those parables of the kingdom, you know, the kingdom of heaven is like the sower who went out to sow the, the field with wheat and weeds sown in it. After it's all done, Jesus asks his disciples if they've understood it. And they say, yes. And he says this, Therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out his tre- brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. And I, that's a very similar picture, I think, to what Solomon has here, that as we, as we gain wisdom, and where does that wisdom come from? The Lord in his word, then our rooms are filled. And Jesus says we even put that to use. We bring out what is new and what is old as we learn this wisdom. So the connection I think I want to make there is, is to connect the wisdom that Solomon is talking about here and the building of a house with the word of God. That's where the wisdom is found. That's how our, our treasures will be filled. And then we will bring out of that treasure. We will begin to, to do these things that God has given in his word. Yeah, and then maybe one step further, I, I hadn't thought of that before you mentioned it. 
so I'm kind of speaking off the cuff here, but as as a father of, of three daughters, I think you get this understanding that as a family, you're kind of building a house, and mm-hmm. what do you do with those uh, treasures, those riches that you have accumulated over following God? Well, you pass them on to the next generation. You're literally building a house in your family. So you would take those things out, and you would share them with your children and raise them up in the faith that they might have those very same riches. I think you're exactly right there. When whenever Solomon talks about building a house in and wherever you see that in wisdom literature or where you see it elsewhere in the scriptures, we tend to think of a physical structure and certainly that's not out of Solomon's realm of view, but I do think he's got in mind that larger picture that building a house has to do with a family, establishing a family, having having a wife. I mean, Solomon's talked about that. Having children, Solomon's talked about that, and instructing those children. That's how this book is structured, is, is around yeah. words of wisdom to a son. And, and so yeah, to see it, that, I think, no, you're exactly right, Pastor Elmore. Go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, because at some point, what are, what are we going to do in this life with those riches? Well, hmm. if, if we do what we are created to do, we share them. And who are we going to share them with? Well, we can share them with strangers and everything. That's right. But most close to us, we share them with our families. And that's, I, I think, I, I really like that image. And and I think, I mean, this this whole conversation goes together. When you think about what do the evil men have, they are gaining earthly wealth by means of treachery, by means of deception and slander. Why do they want to gain that wealth? Well, for themselves, and, and maybe also to pass down to their children, this is the reason many parents do what they do, is to make a better life for their children. And Solomon says, look, if, if you want to, to, to play with that same theme then, if you really want to give your children something, if you want to have something to establish for them as a real gift and real riches, give them wisdom. Or, or more, yeah. more simply— for words I think that that hit home more for us today, give them the Christian faith. Don't worry about giving them a lot of money for their college for their college tuition. Don't worry about their career. And when I say that, I'm you know I'm not saying forget about it, but keep yeah. first but things first. Keep first things yeah. first. Give them the faith. Because if, if they if they have that, if their life is built on wisdom, if their life is built on the Word of God, I mean, we we believe that the rest will be provided by God. Not that not that seeking those things is bad, but we we trust that if we follow His uh, will, that He will provide. Give us this day our daily bread, or elsewhere yeah. in the Sermon on the Mount, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. And, and to, to keep in mind, to, to go back to what we said earlier, you know, maybe that's not all of the comforts of this life that, that we would like. Maybe it's not air conditioning in South or Central Texas, but it, but it is the things that we need. Why do you worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink yeah. or what you're going to wear? Look, look at the birds. Look at the lilies of the field. Doesn't God yeah, provide for them? Exactly. He'll provide for you too. Yep, Exactly. So, Pastor Elmer, let, let's keep going. Verses, verses 5 and 6. A wise man is full of strength, and a man of knowledge enhances his might. For by wise guidance you can wage your war, and in abundance of counselors there is victory. 
some similar themes, I think, but perhaps more of a, a shift now from the idea of accumulating possessions to the idea of accumulating power or might. How do you read verses five and six? Yeah, and, and some of the, the reading and prep I did for being with you this morning, you kind of get a, a flavor here in some of these sayings and some of these proverbs that some of them might have come from like a military community. Mm. I mean, after all, we're talking about King Solomon. King Solomon was obviously the, the head of the uh, army of Israel, and during that period of time, they had to, to fight their battles. And in this proverb, it's showing that a, a person who is going to wage kind of their righteous battles, if they want to succeed, um, wisdom is actually more beneficial than raw strength. Um, that if a king or a prince or somebody who is being trained to fight wants to uh, wage war and succeed, uh, wisdom is going to be the, the best course. And I think we can make this case pretty simply based on the history of the people of Israel because they weren't the strongest people, they weren't the largest people, they didn't have the greatest military technology, but when God was with them, when they were following his rules and statutes and mandates, they were victorious. And whenever they uh, strayed away from God, uh, they found defeat in battle. So I think Solomon and the people in the wagers of war in Israel understood that their key to victory was following the Lord, and anybody who counseled uh, the king and his warriors to follow the path of the Lord would have been beneficial. That's a that's a good theological perspective on it that I think is, is helpful, and I think you're right that it's there. Consider some of the more well-known military victories from the history of Israel, Gideon comes to mind. We've been talking about this in family devotions recently. From a, yep. a military perspective, the strategy that Gideon has to win the battle, which would be have a small army with torches, glass jars, and trumpets. From a military perspective, that's ridiculous. But the Well, not only is it ridiculous, it's doubly ridiculous because... The army started out in the thousands and right. ends up only being 300 people right. fighting right. tens of thousands of people. Right, but the, but the wisdom in it is that this is what the Lord has given. And, and I yes. think that, that's, that's exactly the point you're, you're driving at here. We're going to need to take a break here, Pastor Ulmer. You're listening to Sharp Iron here on KFUO. We'll be right back. Please stick around.
Since 1978, Lutheran Church Extension Fund has had the humble privilege of supporting Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries and her workers. Thanks to faithful investors, LCEF has provided thousands of church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations with the low-cost loans and resources they need to reach more people with the saving name of Christ. To learn more, visit lcef.org or call 800-843-5233. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Thursday, October 8th. We're looking at Proverbs 24, verses 1 through 22. We've got Pastor Matt Ulmer with us. He serves at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Bishop, Texas. Remember that if we missed something you really wanted to hear more about, give us a call. Listener comment line 314-996-1542. Leave a message there or send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. Let us know what proverb you want to hear more about. I'll be recording some short bonus podcast material to help you sharpen your faith in Christ through the book of Proverbs. Pastor Elmer, one of the verses that we didn't get to in that previous section was verse 8. Whoever plans to do evil will be called a schemer. That word schemer in English, for Lutherans at least, (laughs) brings to mind the explanation to the commandment concerning coveting. The ninth commandment talks about not scheming. What's there in verse 8 for us? Yeah, so I think the the part that I find interesting about verse 8 and then like 9, 10 that follows, is understanding that when we commit these sins, in particular scheming, reminds us of the Ninth Commandment, uh, the explanation being we should fear and love God so that we do not scheme to get our neighbor's uh, money or inheritance. Um, When we commit these sins, people on the outside notice that we do them. And when people see that we are participating in sin, by our actions we can actually obtain a reputation of our own. So not only are we trying to obtain things by ways that God has not devised for us, but we can actually end up hurting our neighbors, and we can ultimately end up hurting ourselves, because when we get labeled a schemer or a scoffer or an adversary, people are not going to deal with us in ways that are helpful and beneficial to us. So I think there's a lot of wisdom here instructing uh, people to avoid these activities which give these negative um, reputations. I think that's just a, it's a helpful comment, and it is very simple, but it's it's amazing how the wisdom of the scriptures is so simple at times. Planning to do evil seems to give benefits, and we talked about that in verses 1 and 2, that it seems that the evil men gain great benefit in this life, and we think that by joining in with that, that we might gain the same benefit. And yet here, Solomon, in, in compiling this wisdom, makes it very plain in such a simple way, okay, you may get that benefit, but look at the the downside. Look at how you end up hurting not only your neighbor, but yourself. You are going to gain the reputation as a schemer, which then is only going to pile on, maybe the snowball effect. I'm making a circle with my finger here that you can't see. Yeah. <laughs> the snowball effect of you started this thinking that you were going to gain something for yourself, But what you gained was an evil reputation, and now that's only going to prevent you from gaining all those good things you thought you were going to get in the first place. 
Yeah, and, and then to make matters worse, what you end up reaping for yourself in the end is death. Mm. For sure, for sure. Yeah, and so again, the, the wisdom that is here, the law of God is good and wise. And, and when we mm-hmm. do it, good things come. And we should hold on to that reality, always looking forward to the fullness in the resurrection. Let's uh, take a look at the rest of the text here for us this morning. We're in Proverbs 24, picking up again at verse 13. My son, eat honey, for it is good, and the drippings of the honeycomb are sweet to your taste. Know that wisdom is such to your soul. If you find it, there will be a future, and your hope will not be cut off. Lie not in wait as a wicked man against the dwelling of the righteous. Do no violence to his home, for the righteous falls seven times and rises again, but the wicked stumble in times of calamity. Do not rejoice when your enemy falls, and let not your heart be glad when he stumbles, lest the Lord see it and be displeased, and turn away his anger from him. Fret not yourself because of evildoers, and be not envious of the wicked, for the evil man has no future, the lamp of the wicked will be put out. My son, fear the Lord and the king, and do not join with those who do otherwise, for disaster will arise suddenly from them, and who knows the ruin that will come from them both. That's the end of our text today. That was Proverbs 24, verses 13 through 22. So the the beginning of this section, Pastor Ulmer, compares wisdom to honey. The sweetness of honey to the taste is comparable to the sweetness of wisdom to the soul. I think this relates a lot to what we were saying earlier with the idea that wisdom builds the house. That's where true riches are found, true wealth is found, is found in wisdom. Here the image is one of sweetness and and taste. Yeah, I think in this particular section, there's so much good stuff here. And I know that might sound cheesy to say because I think in God's Word, there's always good stuff to say, but in the second half of this text, man, is this packed with with vivid imagery that, that speaks. In these first two verses, you get this comparison to honey, to wisdom. Man, isn't that a beautiful image? Uh, because not only is honey sweet, which human beings love sweet things, but honey is something that has been seen for a long time as, as a very valuable thing because it's sweet, it's nutritious, it has a lot of medicinal value for treating like stuff like allergies we understand now. It was also used in the olden world as kind of an antiseptic. I mean, honey is this this rich image that you can almost like smell it and see it and taste it when Solomon talking about it. And at the same time, we also understand that the positive implications from it, calling wisdom honey, um, speaks so much to us as Christian people because we get all of these benefits from God's Word. We hear from His Word that we are his children, that he loves us. We hear from his word that all of our kind of, our transgressions, our sins have been taken by Jesus. We hear from him that our future is life. We hear from him that he will provide for us. We hear from him that he will forgive us and defend us. All of these things from God's word we, we get, and they are all good. 
and ultimately the the wisdom that is there that provides the greatest sweetness the greatest benefit of all is the resurrection verse 14 is yeah. a, is one of those examples in the book of proverbs where that foundation of the resurrection of the dead that we said earlier is lying in the background of so much of this solomon makes it quite explicit there as he as he works verse 14 if you find it that is wisdom there will be a future and your hope will not be cut off. Certainly, you know, this we can say this in an earthly sense to a degree that there is a future in earthly life for those who do wise things. Foolish things may lead to your earthly death. Wise things generally don't. But but how yeah, much that, more is it true when it comes to the resurrection? Well, I, I think it's ultimately as true as anything can possibly be. It reminds me of a sermon I preached a couple weeks ago uh, the beginning of Philippians, where St. Paul is talking, uh, St. Paul in prison is talking about the hope that he had that no matter what happens to him in this life, whether he lives or whether he dies, he is going to be with Christ. And that no matter how many calamities may, be, may fall upon the Church and its people, our hope, our confident hope, always remains because we know, being fed by God's Word, whose we are and where we're going to end up. I, I don't think I've ever made a connection yet between the book of Proverbs and Philippians 1, but I think that's that's right on. The way that Paul puts it there in Philippians 1 is he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And I think that's a that's an yeah. excellent text to lay over the book of Proverbs, sections like this, that to live is Christ, to live in wisdom that Solomon gives us in the book of Proverbs is Christ. It's given to us by Christ, and so it is good. And to die is gain, that if in living in this wisdom, which is Christ, I die, then I've I've not lost. I've actually gained because I've got a future. My hope has not been cut off. I have everlasting life in Christ. I think that that text from Philippians 1 is an excellent way of looking at this text from Proverbs. Yeah, especially understanding his context. I mean, Paul's in prison yeah. in Rome, and he knows he's going to die. Yeah. It, keep going. Keep going. Dwell on that a little bit. That, I mean, I, I the, the way that I kind of preach the text is just reminding people that we, we, I mean, I made it a very, very kind of um, a sermon that really preached to the stuff that we're going on uh, today, because, I mean, when I preached that, which was in, in middle September or so, I can't remember the exact date, we as a people, as a community, as both uh, members of St. Paul and Bishop and as citizens of Texas and the United States, 2020 has been rough. <laughs> We've been through calamity and, and disaster and bad news cycle over and over and over again. I mean, the last time that I recorded with you, we were about to get slammed by a hurricane. Um, but through all of these things, our, our trust and our hope has never deviated. It's always remained focused on one thing. It's a sure confidence that we know that Jesus' tomb is empty. Mm. So as we face... Um, as we face a, a, an election season, which is rough, and we face um, violence and riots and hurricanes and, and pandemics, 
while these things uh, worry us and the world tries to get us to worry about them, when, when fed with God's Word, our confidence can never be shaken because mm. Jesus Christ is raised from the dead. Mm. I mean, think about how, how honey just changes the taste of everything that it touches, something that's, yeah. that's sour. In, in, our, in our family, we often mix honey in with plain Greek yogurt, which is kind of tangy. It's, it's an acquired taste, but when you add honey to it, it totally changes the, the taste of it such that it, it does. It makes it it's sweet. And, and think of how the honey, that is the wisdom, the, the very wisdom that you're talking about, completely changes the way that we look at a year like 2020. Which I mean, you, I'm sure you've heard these things, Pastor Pastor Elmer. The the next time, I mean, you know, this is October, and theoretically, hurricane season is over. But wouldn't it be oh, so boy. 2020 <laughs> if there was a hurricane outside of outside of, uh, of the regular season? I mean, that's that's the kind of way that we've talked about this year. When yeah. we when we approach a year like this with the wisdom that God gives us, particularly again in the resurrection of the dead, that we've seen in his son, Jesus Christ, and we know has promised us on the last day. I mean, that's, that's the honey that makes a year like this sweet so that we can say with Paul in prison to live is Christ and to die is gain. And that, that is something Amen. that Christians have that just nobody else has. And, and man, if, if there's, if there's something that the world needs, that's what it is. Yeah. I, and I just kind of, as a kind of, um, a moral and secular statement, I think that's the one thing that in this time the Church and its members can offer the world, understanding that the pains and the struggles, and even, as we talked about earlier, the the envious and covetous desires of mankind, they are not the goal, they are not the end. Jesus Christ has overcome the death and the grave. Mm-hmm. and And when we focus on Him, as his people, our life can't be anything but good. Yeah, yeah. To, to live as Christ, to die as gain. That is just such a fantastic Amen. overlay to this text. Let's let's keep Amen. let's keep going, Pastor Elmer. I bet we could just keep going in verses thirteen and fourteen. Let's look at a few more here. Verses fifteen and sixteen. Solomon continues. He says, "Lie not in wait as a wicked man against the dwelling of the righteous. Do no violence to his home." For the righteous falls seven times and rises again, but the wicked stumble in times of calamity. The picture of verse 16 is, is a fantastic image. I've gotten, I don't know what you call that, that toy where the, it's like a rounded base and you can punch it. And, and every time you punch yeah. it, it goes down and it comes back up or, or almost like yeah. a, a, a whack-a-mole type, you know, picture is another maybe image that we could put in our minds where, where every time you, you hit those moles, he's coming up somewhere else. And that's the righteous is yeah. that the righteous falls yeah. seven times and rises again. Take us into these verses. Yeah, I think you, you kind of get the same thing as you got there at the end of 14 with the hope not being cut off. It's, it's understanding that a wise person doesn't attack righteous people because no matter what happens to them, because their hope, because their foundation is God's word, ultimately as Christians our foundation is Christ, him crucified and risen, that no matter what happens to us in this life, we are going to be okay. Whether we get hurt, we're going to be okay. Whether we get sick, we're going to be okay. Whether we go broke, we're going to be okay. Whether 
wind and wind and fire and and wave uh, destroyer. Things are going to be okay. Whether we die, we are going to be okay because, as you have said with that Philippians one, whether we live as Christ and to die as gain, mm. you have that here. It does no good to attack a righteous person because no matter what happens, they are going to be okay because God is going to take care of them, even if that um, provision. Uh, is ultimately only realized in the resurrection. You see in these verses the the irony of those who would make martyrs of Christians. The irony of what ends up happening. What's the what's the saying? The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. That that yep. no matter how many of the righteous you kill, and and here we're saying righteous and you know righteous by faith. Those who have yep. the righteousness of Christ given to them through faith. No matter how many of the righteous you kill, the church lives, and and in fact, the righteous live in Christ. And so that what what ends up happening as as those Christians are are martyred or as Christians suffered, that ends up strengthening them. They do not actually fall, but they rise again. Whereas the wicked have no such hope. Those who who have no faith in Christ have no hope, and and one. One sort of you just flick them, and they they fall over, never to rise again. Yeah, and I, and I think that image is very very powerful because as you or any of the listeners look out into the world, what happens to the world when there is uh, a disaster that's unanswerable, or a mm-hmm. pandemic that we can't do anything about, or a financial downturn? Wh- Without Christ and without that undying hope, without that confidence in the resurrection, it leads people to absolute despair, because when our eyes are not focused on Christ and the resurrection, all we have is this life. And when you see that go away, when you see that be destroyed, how can you do anything but fall? I think that's the the wisdom that Solomon is kind of recording here. And and so the the wicked do fall. Now I think that the next verses are written now to the righteous when when that is seen. So Solomon continues here. This is verses seventeen and eighteen. Do not rejoice when your enemy falls, and let not your heart be glad when he stumbles, lest the Lord see it and be displeased, and turn away his anger from him. These these verses seem particularly applicable in a time like ours, Pastor Ulmer, when the way the world would frame it, anyone who is not with me is against me, and my Amen. my goal is to aim at his destruction. Right? I mean, we're, we're coming up on November, dare I say it, yep. and, and <laughs> how much rejoicing will there be for one group of people when their enemy falls? And and that's not, that's not the, the, original context of these verses. So I want to be careful with that. But I, I yeah. do think that the general attitude of the world toward there's this great polarization and it doesn't take much to see it. That that verses yeah, like these yeah. are, are helpful. Go ahead. Yeah, and, and I think it would be very, very wise for us uh as people, and I think you can extend the context into uh politics, is understanding that God has not designed us to enact victory over other people, and by that victory and by their downtrodding, 
um, exact some kind of pleasure or vengeance. Because here in verses 17 through 20, God is very clearly letting us know that he is the one who is overseeing the world and that um, God is going to take care of all evil done against his people and that what God's people are supposed to do is not worry about the affairs of evil people, not try to obtain some kind of victory over them, but to trust in God to provide that victory. Because um, lording it over the evildoer is not going to gain the Christian anything in benefit in this life or even in the next. Yeah, the 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 thought, vengeance is mine, says the Lord, I think is behind yep. verses like these, that, that it is his job to enact justice and not mine. And so I, I need to not take vengeance. That's definitely there. I think also behind verses like these are, are the Lord's statements, for example, in the book of Ezekiel, that he says, I desire not the death of the wicked, but that they would turn from their ways and live. That ultimately, what is the Lord's desire for all people? It is for them to come to the knowledge of the truth and be saved through faith in Jesus Christ. And and as yeah. Christians, that should be our same attitude as well. That in and it's pretty. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, and it's pretty hard to enact that help. It's hard to preach that saving gospel as the church if we are actively working to destroy them. Hmm. Hmm. Well, I mean, think about Jesus in calling us to pray for our enemies. And again, the Sermon on the Mount, part of our prayers for our enemies would be for their conversion, for their for their coming to that knowledge of the truth. And there I'm, I'm speaking very specifically concerning enemies, those who are outside the Christian church, who have set themselves against Christ and the faith that he gives. When we pray for them, we are, we are at least in part, praying for them to be turned through the work of the Holy Spirit in the gospel so that they would then join us in this church and no longer be our enemies at all, but be you know, not, not strangers and aliens, Paul says in Ephesians 2, but fellow citizens, members of the household of God. And, and if we're rejoicing at their downfall, how can we be praying that at the same time? I, I don't think that you can. So one one thing, and I, I want to want to put this to you as well, Pastor Ulmer, that that we don't want to rejoice when our enemy falls for all the reasons that we've talked about. At the same time, there are places in the scriptures, particularly in the Psalms, where where you come upon what are called imprecatory psalms, where the psalmist will call upon the Lord to meet out justice upon the enemies. Uh, perhaps most famously is in Psalm 137, where, where the psalmist says, blessed shall he be who takes Babylon's little ones and dashes them against the rock. I mean, so you get these very, very strong words against the enemies of the Lord that the psalmist prays, that, that we as Christians would pray in the Psalms when we take them upon our lips, how do we hold prayers like that? And and that prayer, I mean, even think of the book of Revelation, where you've got the saints under the altar praying, how long, O Lord, asking for the Lord to, to bring justice upon their enemies. How do we hold that kind of prayer intention and be able to pray that all the while holding it together with what we've got here in Proverbs 24? 
Yeah, I, I think for for me and and the counsel that I have given to the people that I serve in understanding that kind of prayer is understanding that we are asking God to avenge the evils done against his people and that we are confident that every wrong that has been done to God's people he will make right on the last day. So we can we can and should place um, our needs and our desires and our pains upon him. But as people of faith, we always leave it to him and we trust him to take care of it in his own time, in his own way. So we, we, we have confidence that he is a God of justice, that he will bring justice, that he, in fact, he has brought justice through the he, cross yeah, of, his, justice. of his son, and, and we leave it to him to enact that in time as he sees fit, or maybe all the way till the resurrection. And so we, we do pray for that, but without a spirit of vengeance against our enemies, rather a spirit of, of praying for them, for their conversion, so that they would be taken out of that enmity with God, which is where we were, by the way, out of that to God, and then put into friendship with God along with us in the Holy Christian Church. Amen. Pastor Ron, we've got about two minutes here on the morning. Rather than, than trying to take up another proverb, as, as you think about the, the various things we've talked about here in Proverbs 24, wisdom literature as a whole, how do we look at a text like this, a book like Proverbs? Where do we find Christ here for us? Yeah, I... I think that we find Christ in understanding that Scripture, all wisdom, is God-breathed. It is something that he has given to us that we might know him and his will for us. I think the ultimate expression of knowing God, knowing his will, is knowing the person of Jesus Christ. It's understanding that every single word of Scripture, including these Proverbs, including this whole batch of wisdom, is uh, made manifest and is perfected in Jesus Christ, the one who is the Word of God, the one who is the wisdom of God, the one who took upon us every single failing that we have, uh, every single time that we have not heeded wisdom, and he has paid for them by his own blood, that he has uh, buried them in his tomb, that he has conquered the grave by his resurrection, that he gives us the fruits of that cross and that resurrection, that we might be blessed to be called God's children, that we might be blessed to be called those who have received and live and hope in the wisdom of God. Pastor Matt Ulmer is the pastor at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Bishop, Texas, helping us this morning with Proverbs chapter 24, verses 1 through 22. Pastor Ulmer, thanks for being our guest today. It was a pleasure. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.